Amen, amen. Um, Jared, because I called Jared Jeff the first service, and my wife was like, no, 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 no. That's, that's not Jeff. That's not Jeff. I was at Riverstone too long, and yeah, so uh, welcome, um, everyone, both joining online and here in person. Um, my name is John. I realize that there may be some people who haven't seen me in a while. Some people are like, I have no idea who you are. Um, that's okay. Um, I am definitely not Pastor Carl. Um, so yeah, um, I do want to say before anything, though, um, I want to say thank you to Pastor Carl for allowing me the opportunity to be able to share God's word this morning. Um, I don't mean this lightly when I say it. I do believe without a shadow of a doubt, Pastor Carl is a giant in the faith, especially in the Central Valley. So I'm grateful for the impact he's had in my life and the continued impact he'll have going forward. Um, So if you're watching, Pastor Carl, thank you. Love you. Um, Again, my name is John. Um, I was here for the last, at Flipside, for the last few years, getting opportunity. It was a privilege of mine to be able to serve this great church in a lot of different capacities, the last being uh, campus pastor at Riverstone. Um, now I actually get, got the opportunity to serve alongside who was youth pastor here as well, patient Matadi, um, and I serve as an associate pastor at the Garage Church in Fresno. Um, it is a newer church plant. We will be launching on Easter Sunday, so everyone's excited for Easter or stressed out if you're on the other end, <laughs> one of the two. Um, but again, it's, it's really my privilege to be able to be here this morning because I do believe God has a word for us. Um, amen. Okay, there you go. I like that. Um, and you'll hear me use the word a lot, family, a whole lot. So it's because I really do mean that. Anyway, let's get right into it. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll jump right in. Father, we thank you. We thank you for, again, the privilege it is to be able to be in your house, to be able to worship, to be able to grow and learn more about who you are and ultimately who you've created us to be. My heart, Father, is for the one today, this morning, who is in a place of asking lots of questions, who is uncertain about this whole faith thing, because all they see is nothing but the brokenness of this world has the offer. My prayer is, Lord, would you speak life into them this morning? Would they leave ultimately encouraged, not because of anything John says specifically, but ultimately what your word leads us back to, knowing and being secure in. So, Father, would you have and take glory in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So Pastor Carl has been going through the last couple weeks, this series, asking the question that you see on the screen, what is heaven really like? And as Carl has mentioned all throughout the weeks, most of us usually have this misconception when it comes to what is heaven really like. Some of us believe in like when we think of heaven, like we think of like a naked person in some sort of like cloth diaper and like chilling with angle wings and just like, I don't know, just like floating like this and hovering for whatever reason and has a halo. Like like we have this misconception of what heaven will be like, what we'll do, all of these different things. Because in reality, as Pastor Carl has been leading us faithfully through, what he's been showing to us is ultimately what scripture reveals is that ultimately there will be a renewal of all things. A real earth, real physical bodies, and a real presence of God among us. Now, most of the time now, whether you were grown up in the church, spent no time in the church, whether you've been to church once or spent years and years in the church, 
usually where the tension becomes to become very present, where we become to be very aware and we begin to ask lots of questions is when we actually look outside of the walls. Because if we're honest, and if you've just been alive for the last two years, you can see and you can probably say, yes, you're completely right. There's been nothing but chaos, craziness, frustration, confusion, distress. And there's probably at least two or three different examples that probably come to mind for yourself. And for as the person who has put their faith in Jesus and who recognizes that we were ultimately created for heaven to live among God forever, I know for certain, because I've asked this question, and I'm almost certain you have as well, why are all of this, just this mess present right now? What is up with the brokenness of the world? Why is it that ultimately I recognize I was created for and desire Eden, heaven, the perfect place in which God lived among his people, and yet live in the reality of a broken world. God, I know that the church people all the time talk about your goodness. God, I know the church always talks about how you're faithful, how you're always on time, how we can trust you, how you're loving, how you're kind, how you're patient, how you're all these things. But why is it when I turn the news on, even for 60 seconds, I'm almost to the point of being convinced otherwise? And see, what I want to be able to do this morning for us is to be able to give us, in a sense, some kind of language to open our eyes to ultimately what the Bible reveals to us about what is the re- up with all this brokenness? What is the reason for all this? Where do we point? Where does this all actually come to like begin in the first place? I want to be able to direct our attention and be able to ultimately lift up what Scripture reveals about this issue. So the first place I want to be able to actually start is in the New Testament. And it's going to be Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 through 14. This is what it says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. Basically, the issue, and it's a long argument within that actual chapter that Paul is trying to present more so to the Jewish actual audience, where he's saying, if you continue and if you try to be justified based off of the law, based off of a certain code of conduct, based off a really simple word, just like the works that you think you're going to do, ultimately what that is for you is a curse, not a blessing. Because the only thing that truly actually leads to us having a right standing with God, a right relationship with God, something that actually truly leads in blessing, is only when we decide to put our faith in Jesus, not what we do. Faith in Jesus, not what we do. And so Paul's putting this, putting, putting this up. And see, I am certain, and not in this church, because Pastor Carl does an awesome job of actually just being honest and just revealing what Scripture is. But usually what we hear in most of the Christian community, we spend so much time talking about all this idea of blessing, blessing, blessing. You will be blessed. You're going to be blessed. You're going to receive blessings. Like all this idea, 
we are pretty have a good grip on what does it mean to be blessed or to be a blessing, but not a lot of us actually spend the time actually looking through scripture and seeing what it has to say about a curse. And now this morning, I don't have enough time to actually go into super detail about all that scripture has to talk about when it comes to this idea of curses and cursing, so to say. But I just really want us to be able to begin to like spark our imagination at least. But we recognize, actually, the scriptures do talk about this idea of curse. And ultimately, what it is, is actually something we're probably a little more familiar with, like the word sin, right? Because ultimately, what curses come from is as a result of sin. And now, please get out of your mind, like the Harry Potter spells, like idea of curses. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking something along the lines and sense of something that is spread, something that is pervasive, something that has real life implications on us and everything we have relationship with. Ultimately, what sin is, is the failure to be truly human as God created us to be. And so what we're going to look at here is that the brokenness of this world is not God's original intention. The pain and the suffering that a lot of people, especially outside of the church, want to point and say, well, if there is a God, it's his fault. This wasn't God's original design for humanity. So let's take a look at this. The beginning of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, literally the very first page or two in your Bible. And this is what it says. This is right here is what God's intention was after he created the heavens, the earth, the skies, the grass, the animals, created humans. He created everything. And for humans specifically, those who created in his image, those who shared the most likeness with God, who he had a plan and purpose for, this is what his plan and purpose for their lives was. It says, God blessed them, humans, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the, and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. See, God's original intent for humanity, for humans specifically, were to be a blessing to all of creation. Not a curse, but a blessing. People ultimately, and you see where it says be fruitful and multiply, what we're talking about is this idea of cultivating, right? This idea of growing, raising up, improving creating a healthy relationship with. This was God's original intent. But as most of us probably know, right, what happens about two chapters later is ultimately this is not how the narrative remains. It doesn't just simply remain in the sense of everything is good. Humans are doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're living up to their divine call living on mission for God. But what we actually say is, what we see is this idea of actually humanity coming to a fall. And so when we look at Genesis 3 here in just a moment, basically what took place up to this point of the verses we're going to read is that ultimately sin comes in through the world of Adam and Eve both taking over something that ultimately God said don't take of. Usually a fruit is what you've heard. And because there's this, this idea of the serpent is also there, which is, represents the devil, ultimately tempted them to say, how good would it be to be God? How good would it be to be able to trade places with God and define what is good and what is evil? 
define what is actually going to bring the best joy to your life and actually what is going to be the greatest desire. How good would it be? And ultimately, Eve falls into this trap. And this is where we see sin introduced into the world and ultimately brokenness and this idea where man, humanity, Adam, trades his original divine purpose of being a blessing to the world and ultimately begins to spread something else. Begins to spread the curse into all humanity. Begins to spread sin. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at now Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 19. So if you have a Bible or if you have an app, um, anything like that, please feel free to go ahead and turn there. Again, it's just the first couple pages. You don't have to go to your table of contents. It's right next to the table of contents, okay? So Genesis chapter 3, bear with me too, because this is a long passage, but I promise it's, it's going to be for a good purpose, okay? So this is what it says. Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse number 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid themselves from the God, from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Basically what is happening here right now is that as a result of them taking the, taking the fruit, actually introducing this brokenness, they become aware of their nakedness. And so what they decide to do is sow fig leaves around them, ultimately representing now this alienation and this isolation they have from one another. And now what their first reaction is, let's hide from God too. I'm so ashamed of what is actually like I'm aware of now. And so right away, the response is to hide from God. And God goes, goes looking for him. Verse number nine. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Also, I want to note is God isn't like, he doesn't not know where they are, by the way. Like he knows exactly where they are. What he's doing, and we'll come back to this, so hold on to this, is that he's giving an invitation, actually, to be honest about where they really are. Verse number 10, he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman put... The woman who you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. Shifting blame. I, I don't do that in my house at all with my wife. I always say, yep, I'm sorry. It was me. If you want to, I've been given, I'm almost be married four years now. And the best advice was saying, uh, if she ever says what, your response is not to like, basically say like what you were trying to say. It was just like, okay, it's my fault. It's my fault. <laughs> but what we see is woman and the man shifting the blame. Who told you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate so the Lord said, Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, first instance of cursed, and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all of the days of your life. And I will put intimacy between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains of childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give 
birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree in which I commanded you, you must not eat from. Cursed is the ground. Hold on to that. We're coming back there. Cursed is the ground. Because of you, through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. See, the first thing that I noticed right away from this passage is this. Sin affects our relationship with all of creation. See, the first thing we usually recognize, and most people are like, okay, that kind of makes sense, is that what we see right away is the first relationship that was affected between humanity was actually the relationship that Adam and Eve had between one another, the family unit, the family core. And what was at one time, what we see at the, actually the end of Genesis chapter two, literally the last couple of lines says that we were, they were without shame. They recognized, they, I mean, they, they were naked and had no shame. What we actually see after she partake in actually taking the fruit is that she would be then filled with shame and not just her, Adam too. And so once what was meant to be unshameful, what was meant to actually live in freedom and actually was meant to, their time was supposed to be spent actually cultivating the things that God has given them. They're spending their time now instead covering the shame that they feel, hiding from one another, hiding from God. And see, we have to recognize right away is that Sin does not just simply affect like our relationship with God. It does, and that's the starting point. And, but the thing is, when we decide to actually sin against God, what we also do in the process, as a result, as a consequence, is actually it affects all of the relationships around us as well. Remember what I said? Sin is pervasive. It doesn't just simply stay within someone. It also spreads so where they were called at one point to be co-partners, co-workers, to have this healthy, intimate, growing, thriving relationship, now because of sin, turns into something completely different. And see, now stay with me on this next point. Because a lot of people are, are, are very like, caught off guard. And so what I'm not asking you to do is to become like an environmentalist after I say what I'm about to say. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. But recognize something here. What actually comes as a result of their sin as well, another relationship that gets sort of messed up in the process is also the relationship they have with the land, with the earth, with their work. Genesis chapter three, verse 17. Cursed is the ground because of you. And almost in a sense, like the ground receives the consequences. And as a result, so does Adam. Because you have to recognize Adam is just as much connected to the ground that he actually labors over as is anything else. And so the fate of creation is bound up with that of humanity. So when we sin, it affects more than just our standing with God. And see, we see this idea all throughout scripture, actually. 
There's this passage from Jeremiah that even says this, Jeremiah 23, verse 10. It says, for the land is full of adultery. People are sinning. People are being evil. And it lies under a curse. The land itself is mourning. Its wilderness pastures are dried up as a result. For they all do evil and abuse the power that they had. Amos also talks about this. Joel also talks about this. Isaiah in chapter 24 talks about it. It says, the earth mourns and dries up and the land wastes away and withers. Even the greatest people on earth waste away. The earth suffers for the sins of its people. The earth suffers for they have twisted God's instructions, violated his laws, have broken his everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse consumes the whole earth and its people must pay a price for their sin. Let that sink in for a moment. You probably have never thought for one second that, that this, this, what the church talks about as sin affects anything else besides just somehow this theoretical thing that's only in our minds. Sin, it goes beyond us. Sin ultimately spreads through all of our relationships. The ones we have with each other, how we treat each other, and also ultimately how we treat all of the resources God has given us as well. And so where Adam and Eve were called to at the beginning to be a blessing to the, the, the relationships they have with, again, with each other and to all of the living creatures and the land and everything else, where they were called to what the Bible says rule, which is actually a healthier way, it's not the oppressive kind, actually gets trade out for the oppressing thing. Where now it's about selfish gain. Where now it's about how can I get mine? How can I get my desires filled? How can I now define what is good and what is great and what is righteous? And so ultimately what this leaves me to is asking, are we cultivating or are we destroying all that God has given us? And again, this is not just simply, even though it can be, not just the land, but think about the, the children that he's given you. Think about the relationships with your coworkers he's given you. Think about even your resources, the money in which God has given you. Even simply like, like a home. Who have you invited over to be able to show the love of God to? Not in a weird way, like you're a Jehovah's Witness and say like, you know, the Bible says you're a sinner here and so forth. But what I'm talking about in the sense of showing love as Jesus did, taking the time to get to know people, inviting people in. Maybe even the first step of inviting people to next week, to Easter. But how are we stewarding all that God has given us? Are we cultivating? Are we growing? Are we making stuff improve, become beautiful, like someone would do if they're planning like a garden bed in the front? Or are we simply just ripping through and destroying at the sake of our own selfish gain? recognize that in the new heaven, when everything is restored by King Jesus, one of the requirements will be still that we are good stewards of everything he's given us. Just because God is renewing things, just because there's a promise that he will restore things, 
does not mean that we can just do whatever now. The next thing I see in this passage is this. Sin affects our relationship with our Creator. Again, sin affects all of the relationships. The relationship we have with the land, with the animals, with all of creation, the relationship we have with each other, and then the relationship that I truly do believe is the most important, the one we have with God. This is how the end of Genesis chapter 3, it ends. It says, So the Lord God banished him, talking about both Adam and Eve, from the garden and even to work the ground from which they had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed him on the east side of the Garden of Eden. Now, a lot of people have probably read this before, but they often overlook actually one specific word. And it's, where did he place them? East. And now, throughout scripture, east can also be, it means, it can mean a, a, thing, a couple different things. It can mean a place where blessing comes from, it could also just simply mean like what we would say, like our true north, like the just direction in front of us, right? That would be for the Middle East sort of idea of that. But also what it can mean, and it often does imply, is the leaving of God's presence, protection, and blessing. See, literally right after in Genesis chapter 4, we see this very thing actually happen with Adam and Eve's kids, with their offspring. Again, sin spreads. With their offspring, where Cain kills Abel, and as a result, one of the punishments is that he's cursed, and on, when he's basically cursed and pushed away from the presence of God, when he leaves, I say he leaves because God never forces us to leave his presence. We choose to. When he leaves his presence, the direction in which Cain leaves, actually, is that it says that he leaves to the east. And see, what theologians basically call this idea, what we see in the, in, in the Garden of Eden and what we see all throughout scripture is like this exile pattern. You may have heard that before, like the people of God went into exile. They were punished for their sins. They were sent away from what was supposed to be their home. They were sent away to actually deal with the consequences of them not following the ways of God. And we see this exact same thing happen over and over and over and over again throughout Scripture. Where we were designed, made to be in heaven, made to be in Eden, made to be in the presence of God. Yet at the same time, we trade that place for what we believe is more desirable. See, recognize, we all in here, if you're breathing and alive, we desire a better home. We desire a place where things aren't as we see today. We desire a place where God lives among his people. And see, the beautiful thing is this. If you're a Christian, if you decided to follow after Jesus, you have actually received a foretaste, a down payment of what that'll actually fully be like with God. Of what it would actually truly be like to be able to be in God's presence 24-7 all the years that'll come. But 
You may be in here as well right now. You may be like, John, I hear what you're saying. They left God's presence. They screwed up. They messed up. I get it, because guess what? I'm there is what you would probably say. And I want to be able to encourage you, though, with this, is that even when we leave God's presence, even when we head east, so to say, the beautiful thing is God doesn't leave his people there. God doesn't forsake his people even in spite of them leaving. You know what God does? Chases them down. God says, I am still your creator. You're still my creation. I still have plans of goodness for your life. I still have the ability to use even your brokenness to bring blessing through the earth. That's, that encourages me. I don't know about anyone else. Because I know there's been a lot of places, even in John's life, where I've said, oh, then this is it. <laughs> I stepped one too far over the line. I did one too many of this. I went here, and I know I shouldn't have went here. And yet the beautiful thing about the good news of Jesus is that regardless of how far we leave the presence of God, there's always the opportunity to come back, to enter in, and to be able to have that relationship with God. And see, in the new heaven, in the new earth, what we're going to be able to experience as the family of God, as the people of God, is actually the complete opposite of everything we're experiencing here. There's brokenness, yep. There's hurt and there's pain, absolutely. There's sorrow, absolutely. But guess what? There, every tear will be wiped away from your eye. All of those pains, God says, I'm going to give you the biggest hug you've ever experienced in your life. Comfort us. And that leads me to the last thing here. We do need and desire new creation. Every single one of us has it inside of us where we recognize, regardless of how much we consume of whatever it is, regardless of how much we throw ourselves into the rat race in America of owning all this stuff, only to be in more debt so we can continue to try to impress God knows who, go on these, all these amazing vacations, which is not bad. I'm going on vacation next week even, right? But... We have this inside of us, this desire, this longing to be with God. We have this desire to be able to go back to Eden, so to say, to be able to have our home with God, to be able to experience his goodness 24-7, to him to be able to be present. We all, every single one of us, have this longing within us and even actually, this is what Paul talks about in the book of Romans chapter 8. This is what it says. It says, for all of creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Now, recognize the same way in which all those other verses, Isaiah, all these prophets, the minor and the, and the major prophets, and even other places throughout scripture, how they personify creation. Like it's not, again, it's not just something we can just like, 
just throw away, we can use however we want. Like literally creation is waiting, everything is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. And what Paul is saying here, who his children really are, because as soon as you decide to follow Jesus and accept him as Lord of your life, you become a son and daughter of him. Yes, amen. But the thing is, for the Christian, we live with this tension, as I mentioned earlier, with the already, but not yet. That is what the Holy Spirit's presence is in our life is for. It literally tells us it's a seal for the day in which Jesus comes back. He will be able to identify who is a part of that family. It's also in the sense of something that is within us where we get this foretaste of all that is coming. Of all that goodness, of all that is different from this brokenness of this world. And it gives us the ability also to be a blessing even beyond ourselves to all the relationships we have. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Amen. I'm waiting for that day. For we know that all creation has been groaning. By the way, have you ever seen someone who's like in pain and groaning? It's not a like, ah, okay. it's, it's, it's an overwhelming expression. Even look what Paul describes it too, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan. Again, creation groans, whether you're a Christian or not, you recognize it. The whole earth as a whole recognizes the brokenness. And we too, even as Paul says, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as the foretaste of the future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. I want to be say this, it is okay at times in lives to be sorrowful, to groan for a better place, groan for a better home. When life just is literally just overwhelming and it sucks, that's okay for the Christian to experience. Jesus himself had moments of that, even in this holy week, so to say. But at the same time, look what Paul says is we have a foretaste though. We have something that ultimately the world doesn't have. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised for us. One of the words to hold on to there is hope. See, a lot of people have this misunderstanding about hope in the Bible. Like you go around and you tell your friends, well, I'm hoping there's a heaven. I'm hoping God will make things new one day. I'm hoping I get to spend eternity with him. I, I hope, it's like me saying, like, I hope I win the lottery. I got one ticket, I don't know. Like, I hope someone writes me a million dollar check tomorrow. Like, I hope, like, I hope someone pays off my student debts. Like, whatever it is, like, it's a hope of like, we know it's not gonna happen. Like, we already have that assurance. And how many of us live life in this way where we tell people, yeah, we're hoping on this. This is my hope. But at the same time, our lifestyles, our demeanors, our conduct, completely different. 
as the people of God, we should be the very witness to the world of a hope that is not a, if I actually one day someone decides to write me a million dollar check or whatever it is, but it's a hope in Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to make all things new. And the reason we can, as the Christian, be reassured of this, the reason we have this actual hope is because of the Holy Spirit that lives within every single believer. The Holy Spirit on our behalf, even as it goes down, even Paul talks about in verse uh, chapter number eight, and it goes down after that, the Holy Spirit, even we don't have words to describe what we're trying to tell God, what we're praying. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us with what? Groaning. We have a hope within us. We are reassured. This is not something that might happen. This is not something even to have a mindset of, well, I'm not really sure. This is actually something we can say without a shadow of a doubt. I know Jesus is coming back. And if people ask, where is the proof? Point to yourself. The Holy Spirit lives within us as a seal and as a foretaste of what is to come. The day when the brokenness of this world will be traded for a very beautiful place. A home with God. One that does indeed resemble where Adam and Eve once dwelled. A place where there was no worry, where there was no fear where there was no frustration, where there was no confusion, where there would be just simply us in God's beautiful presence. And this is what it leads me to as I close. It says, through the brokenness of the world, we may groan, but ultimately what it does is this. Points us, to the, points us back to Jesus. See, the, the brokenness for the unbeliever just makes us go into this nihilistic sort of state of just saying, well, I don't even care what happens. I'm just going to be out here, going to care for myself. I, don't, I have no intention of worrying about, about what's going on, what does eternity look like, all those different things. But ultimately, for the Christ follower, for the believer... This ultimately points us back to Jesus. See, as I mentioned, today is Palm Sunday as the faith family has traditionally celebrated. And so basically what that actually occurs and what we see on this specific Sunday is this. Jesus is about to go into Jerusalem, the place ultimately that no one knew this at the time, but only he did, where he would not have a good time. He would experience some suffering, He would experience challenges. He quite literally would be beat on our behalf. See, the people, when they saw him coming in there, they were screaming, Hosanna, praise God. He's coming to liberate us from this oppressive Roman government. He's getting ready to give us all the blessings, physical blessings we're experiencing. He's going to come do it. They were clapping. They were shouting, laying palm branches down as according to the scriptures. But ultimately, what we see is a reaction from Jesus that is very different from those around him. One quite literally that begins to mourn over all that is about to come. 
But the thing is, and what gives Christians hope is that because also Jesus has gone through these things, it's the pastor's talked about how we have someone who can understand what it's like to groan. We have someone that knows what it's like to be able to experience the horrific pains that sometimes life brings our ways. Jesus himself experienced the worst of it. He was an innocent man, yet died the death of someone who was the complete opposite. Jesus went on our behalf. And what Pastor Carl will talk about next week on Easter, where ultimately he became the curse for us. He became sin for us. So that way you and I could ultimately be the righteousness of God, have a right relationship with God. And so the good news is this. Yes, we live in a broken world. Yes, there will be some tribulations, some trials, some hardships. Yes and amen. But at the same time, we know that this time is only brief in comparison to where we will spend eternity forever. Yes, we may have some chronic illnesses within our bodies, but at the same time, it won't be this way always. Yes, there may be some things you're currently experiencing in your life, but it won't be this way always. I'll close with this. And I I didn't even share this in the first um, service, but I just feeling led to. About a month and a half ago, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. Started radiation a couple weeks ago. Has already lost her hair and everything. We're hopeful. Um, but if I'm honest, I don't know what the end looks like. But you know what gives me the ability to be a light to my family? Not making light of the situation either. Not saying it's not real, not saying that there's not real pain, not saying that it sucks and it makes me want to question God some days. It's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying, the reason I'm able to be a light and a pillar in my family, the reason you too can be a light and a pillar in your family, in your friend group, in your community, is because ultimately we have a hope that is so much different than the world has the offer. We have a peace even in the midst of everything we're experiencing. So I'm not just simply saying, hold on. But what I am saying is, hold on to the promise. Jesus is faithful. He says everything that he's promised is true. His word does not come back to him void. Family, there's good news, even in the spite of bad. Because what it looked like a bloody awful dead Friday coming up here. What we celebrate is Good Friday. The name is just a joke too. It's like a pun or something. Actually ended up being the very thing that would set all people free. But the thing is this. Will you allow that to come in? Will you be able to experience the peace of heaven on earth now? Will you be able to have this hope even to look to later on? Because it all begins with you. Do you want to live in Eden? 
do you want to live with the presence of God? And I don't mean this in like a legalistic, like weird way of preaching hard down. No, it's what I'm saying. But there's such a beautiful gift that's been offered in the presence of Jesus, in the person of Jesus, which is his presence, which is the renewing of all things. And it gives us the opportunity to look forward and say Easter's coming, Sunday's coming, when Jesus would raise from the dead. And with all power and might, with him would give now you and I the ability to experience John chapter 10, 10. Life on top of life. So would you leave with that today of saying there is a sure hope. His name is Jesus. We can be confident and we have something indeed to look forward to. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Because your love endures forever. I thank you. Because there's nothing I can do to be able to earn this love that you have given us. Lord, even says even before we were sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, your love is beyond anything we can imagine. And ultimately, we look forward to the day where we can be able to be embraced by this love fully in your presence. God, we look forward to the day where there's the renewing of all things, where there's the refreshment of all things. The day, Jesus, where there will be no pain, there will be no sorrow, and we will receive our new bodies as an inheritance to come. Jesus, Would you even now in this moment comfort us in the brokenness of this world as we know the Holy Spirit does? So for the person in here who just needs to be reminded that you are with them, that you see them, and that ultimately that you are going to be able to get them through what it is they're going through by your strength, would they let go, would they relinquish control from that situation and ultimately take in what it is that you have to offer? Jesus, we love you. I know that heaven is beyond anything I can even speak from the stage about or even comprehend. But I thank you for the little that we have right now. Father, continue this time now. In Jesus' name, amen.